LWDG Pod Dog, the podcast that helps women train their gun dogs and become part of a supportive community. I'm Joanne Perrett, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I'm thrilled to be your host. Our online membership offers expert training, monthly courses, and live coaching sessions that empower women to become confident and skilled gun dog handlers. Join us as we share insights, advice, and stories to help you and your four-legged friend achieve your goals. So grab your headphones, sit back, and let's get started. Hello, welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week's episode is all about shaping gun dog habits, uh, the time it takes, the techniques it takes, and the unintended consequences of habits we didn't mean to form. Joining me for this week's podcast are LWDG group experts Claire Denya and Gemma Martin. How are we today, ladies? Joe, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I've just upset Gemma by accident, so she's not going to <laughs> Gemma's not speaking to us right now. <laughs> it's going to be a really interesting podcast because you're not actually going to hear Gemma. <laughs> How are you today, Gemma? I'm good, thank you, Joe. How are you? Very well, and really looking forward to another podcast where I'm sure I will learn loads and loads from you. So, our podcast episode, all about gun dog habits, we want to talk about how dogs form habits to begin with, don't we? Because a lot of our listeners might not really understand why they dogs do the things they do. So, I think, I think to put it really, really simple terms, dogs will repeat behaviours that they find rewarding. Um, the problem for us as handlers comes with, Sometimes our dogs can do things that they find rewarding on their own without us having any sort of input. Um, and obviously repetition builds habits. So if they repeat those behaviors that they find rewarding over and over again, that is a habit that's formed for that behavior. Claire? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something I talk about with clients all the time. And it's something we have to consider as handlers all the time when we're training our dogs. We have to think about the patterns of behavior the dog is forming, how that's done and things that we are doing that maybe inadvertently <laughs> create things we don't want, um, as well as things that we can reward that we do want, but also understanding the time it takes to develop those things. So the dog can do something right once or twice. It hasn't yet become a habit, something that the dog just does naturally. Um, and I think very often handlers and owners maybe don't consider how long it actually takes to create those good habits consistently under a variety of circumstances. Sometimes, now that we forget that, um dogs are creatures themselves because of course we don't we see them we love them to death but everything we know about ourselves like how long it takes us to form a good habit how long um it can be that we keep on disrupting our own habits like for example if you want to stop drinking pop and you want to drink water it can take ages to make that change all different things that happen with us we seem to not take that information and say oh it's probably very similar for my dogs because 
learning principles for dogs are very similar to humans. Yeah, absolutely. So um, something we always talk about on the Ladies Working Dog Group, on masterclasses, in podcasts, when we do our live um, Q&A sessions, we talk about the three Ds in training. So duration um, and distractions and distance and how those things can affect the outcome of something we're trying to change. So when you're talking about a behavior, Joe, or a technique or a pattern of something. So if we take the retrieve as a, as a very simple example of that, we're teaching our dog a series of pieces of a, the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle um, that all go together to create and form one outcome. So I always say, if I look at the retrieve, it starts with the dog in the heel position. The dog is then sent out on the retrieve. They pick the retrieve. They have to return with the retrieve and deliver the retrieve and then come back into the heel position. So there are several segments to that that need to be trained, sometimes quite independently for some dogs. So some dogs might pick that whole chain of pattern of behavior up very, very quickly and there's not much need to break it down. But for some dogs, you have to break that down into several different components and make that much easier. But then not only have you got to train each of those individual things and put them together, you've got to then prepare the dog to be able to perform that same behavior under a variety of circumstances, in a variety of scenarios, in different environments and with different distractions. And so actually it's very, very complex. And I think a lot of the time people forget to consider have they actually fully trained that behavior to be that under any circumstance or does the dog just understand it in one scenario? Gemma, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think the most common thing we probably see failing with this is when people start to use a long line to correct their recalls and, and sort of keep the dog that little bit closer. So they'll nail it in one place that they go day in, day out and the dogs are fairly quickly off the long line, they're doing their recalls reliably, they're stopping, they're not chasing things, blah, 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 blah. And then the owners will take them somewhere that little bit more exciting where they'll be sent and there'll be birds flying and there'll be God knows what else. But the long line won't have gone back on to proof that behavior in the same, in the same way they have in the other place. So quite quickly, everything unravels, the dog maybe goes off chasing a scent or chasing a bird um, and it's really disheartening for people when it all goes wrong and they think they've nailed it, but it just goes to show how important that proofing stage of training a behaviour is. We talk about um, like the learning principles with dogs and we talk about habits and there's sort of this sort of interaction that maybe sometimes goes over people's heads. Like, for example, if I touch the fire and it burns me, that was a, a negative reinforcement and I only had to go through it once to learn not to do that again. Um, yeah. And then there might be something else I'm doing, like we'll go back to the pot and water. I might reinforce myself by saying, well done, but it takes me longer because the reinforcement's not what I want, et cetera. Or it's not, it's really not rewarding enough. Do you think though, when we look at our dogs and we're looking at our habits, we're not taking on board how quickly or how long a habit may take to form? <laughs> I think about this all the time and, and I chuckle because sadly, most of the things that our dogs find self-rewarding, 
They only have to do it once for them to want to do it again because it's so self-rewarding. A lot of the things that we train our dog to do, we have to develop that and we have to create that rewarding outcome for the dog. So it takes longer. So let's just take a dog that countersurfs, for instance. Dog countersurfs, it gets a lovely steak off of the sideboard while you're not in the room. And that dog learned in that one instant, that's a very rewarding behavior to do to countersurf. For the owner, that is a very bad thing for the dog to have learned. But in that one thing, and if you think about, we always say that dogs' minds work a little bit like a gambler. So if something has worked for them once, they're likely to try it again and try it again, thinking they might get another win. And sometimes they might get another win as well. <laughs> so it might not have been the stake the second time. Maybe the reward wasn't as valuable, but there was still a reward. So that's um, a very good example of a one-time learning event where the dog just learns there's a great reward in doing that behavior. So then if you take heel work as the other end of the scale, which for a lot of people can be quite um, a challenging thing to get right consistently, that's not very self-rewarding for the dog. We have to build in that reward history for the dog. So that's going to take time. It's not gonna happen in one repetition, like the counter surfing where the dog got the stake did. The heel work is going to take time and patience and consistency. And yes, it might also take some appropriate corrections for the dog not being in the right place, as well as rewarding the dog being in the right place for the dog to get the message, that bit's good, that bit's not good. But that is not a self-rewarding thing for the dog. So we have to build the value in that behavior. Jem, do you wanna add to that? Yeah, I think heel work's a really good one to sort of point out for the consistency in it, because you almost need to do it twice as long consistently as the dog has done it badly to get that better behavior, because it's a frustrating thing for handlers to do. They'll give up occasionally and suddenly the dog will pull them to the field that they get let off and they get let off. And that last bit of the walk where they pull and get that release can be far more rewarding than that bit you've done before that where you've been rewarding their position and whatever. So like you said, annoyingly, all the bits that the dog self rewards are usually of much higher value than we can do. So it's being really consistent with those bits we are doing, making sure that they're getting that reward. Um, and you touched on gambling. I think it's really important for us as handlers to not be predictable as well. So with our rewards, if we always give that one piece of kibble when they come back or that one piece of kibble when they're in heel, we're too predictable. The dog can mm. wake up and go, well, I always get that biscuit. That's really dull. I'm gonna go and look at that rabbit first and then maybe come back. Um, so if we make the dogs play that gamble with us, that behavior is usually a stronger behavior because the dog's like, oh no, but it could be that really good thing this time. So I'm gonna do it. One of the challenges is different dogs breed traits as well. You know, a lot of the time people get dogs without really thinking about the breed that they have got and what the, what that dog will deem naturally reinforcing, what that dog will find self-rewarding. So if you look at some of the breeds, you know, terriers, they love to rag things, tug things, hunt for things and tear them apart. And then you might have owners say, oh, but 
I've got this terrier and it keeps on ripping my <laughs> slippers to pieces and things like that. They haven't considered how the behaviours that they're seeing with the dog um, that they don't want are self-rewarding for the dog because they're there naturally. They're things the dog wants to do. If we look at um, a collie, collie loves to chase. You know, if you think what they're bred for, to herd sheep, to do things like that, they love to chase. So it might start with chasing a cat or chasing a squirrel. Um, but that behavior, if not corrected, or if not given something else to do as an alternative behavior, could develop into chasing, well, some of the colleagues that John and I have worked with over the years have chased cyclists, motorbikes, um, uh, lorries, cars, you know, you name it. Um, but it started with something smaller and the dog was like, this is amazing. Chasing is fantastic. So again, and then we have to look at, okay, so we have to stop that behavior, but we also have to give the dog an alternative behavior to do, to um, give the dog an outlet for that behavior, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and lurches and things like that, <laughs> you know, and all of these things. And I think it's really important that people research the, the natural behaviours of the dogs that they're going to be bringing into their homes for things that are natural behaviours for the dog, whether or not that's going to fit well with them or how they're going to ensure that doesn't become a problem to them. And then in training as well, you know, so if you've got a dog that loves to go off hunting, you know, how can you train that dog? How can you work with that dog to actually, so the dog's working with you, not against you? I think, I'm listening to you now, and I think I've touched upon in the podcast or maybe in, in the private podcast about um, Ella. Bless, bless Ella, my dog. I feel like I say her name always in a negative way, but it's not. But she's got this little thing where she, she loves her calm and she gives it to my husband and my husband, throws in about two foot and she brings it back. And they've got this sort of thing going on now where I think she's madly in love with my husband and doesn't love me as much, but it's all it's all good. I can get over that in my own therapy. But she literally now, I look at it and it's almost a habit between the two of them. She puts the Kong on his legs when he sits on the settee. He picks it up, he throws it, couple of foot, she brings it back. She'll wait and sometimes if he's distracted, he won't give it back so quick and then she'll nudge it as if saying hello, and it's like this little habit between them. And I think mm. she has all the patience and persistence in the world to wait for what she wants. She wants him, even though he's done it like 50 times that night before, she wants the 51st time. She wants that reward of going to get <laughs> that car. And like, I just watch it, and I think sometimes if we just observe them and what they like, you, you can learn so much about what your reward should be because they mm -hmm. almost show us what they love most. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. Understanding the breed and then getting to know your individual dog and knowing what they find rewarding and valuable without any doubt at all will help you develop a dog that you can live harmoniously with. You've got to understand those behaviours. You've got to know those breed traits. You've got to understand how you can manipulate or change or give an alternative for those behaviors so that it actually it can be a plus for you as opposed to a negative for you and i think the problem is a lot of people will let things slip um 
or a lot of people will think, oh, it's not a big deal. Something happening is not a big deal until it is a big deal. Do you know what I mean? So it'll be like, oh, well, it's only chasing the squirrel up the garden and they'll let that go and let that go. And the next thing you know, the dog's chasing that squirrel through a field or through a wood out of your sight. And all of a sudden that is a big deal, but actually that behavior has been building for a long time. So we, ha we have to, we have to know what the dog likes and we have to make sure that the things that we're training the dog to do work for us and keep the dog safe as well. Odd thing about the situation between husband and, and Ella though is this, every time he throws it, she waits for him to send him. So I've sort of left it because she looks at him, it's like three foot away, it really doesn't need yeah. a relief. But it, she, she looks at him, she looks back there, she looks at him and I'm thinking, that's all he's doing is reinforcing an excellent behaviour for when we go out and train because she's really incredibly steady now, waiting for that release. Mm -hmm. But do you think as well, a lot of the things around um, problem behaviours when it comes to habits is because of the amount of times they have duplicated the behaviour? Mm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think quite often as if we live with our dogs and we're around our dogs a lot, we end up reinforcing lots and lots of behaviors without even knowing it. Um, and I think that's where a lot of attention seeking comes from because you'll sit there, you'll be doing something, your dog will come and put their head on your lap or something and you'll absentmindedly give them a little fuss. So for me, that's like the start of attention seeking because that dog has come and interrupted what you're doing and said, touch me and you've done it. Um, and then before you know it, that's something that happens all the time and it's not a big deal, is it? Because you're just touching your dog while you're getting on with your work. But then there's that day that comes that you're actually too busy to touch your dog and your dog gets a bit confused about why you're not touching it and rewarding it as you normally would. And you mm. get like, noise creeping in and squeaking and whining and whatever. And that person might go, oh, no, I really need you to shut up. So that dog gets a bone or something to shut it up. So instantly that behavior that the dog's done has rewarded it even more than putting its head on the person's lap. So that squeaking has resulted in a bone. So then the next day the dog goes straight to squeaking and then barking and gets a bigger reward because it really needs to shut up. Um, so you can see how these behaviors escalate really quickly without us really being aware because we just need the dog to do something. So we inadvertently reward them to get the desired outcome. Does that make sense? It's probably very simple for you as trainers to see when as owners we have basically not recognized these unintentional reinforcements we've been going along there we come and see you we're like we don't know what's wrong with the dog and you're like i can see in like one second what's wrong with the dog because i'm watching you interact whilst you're talking to me you're doing all these unintentional things how can an owner sort of become more mindful of like how they're training? I think it's it's becoming mindful about are you training your dog or is your dog training you? That's the first thing I'll say to somebody. You need to sit there and look at everything that your dog is doing and say, am I training my dog to do that or is my dog training me to do that? And what Gemma just described there is a really good example because a lot of people are still working from home, if not full-time, but part-time now. A lot of people have not gone back into offices full-time and things like that. So a lot of people are on work calls, work Zooms, and the dog is in close proximity to them. And as Gemma just said, they need the dog to be quiet. So they give the dog something to be quiet. 
And, and the owner might think that they're doing that to get the outcome that they want, but actually they're creating problems that are going to come back to bite them later on. And things like that are super common. So I think you always just, the first thing is, especially with behaviours in the house, especially with those, um, but it can be behaviours on your walks or in your training sessions as well. Are you training your dog or is your dog training you? You know, <laughs> I'll tell you one that John taught Rose, which Rose is, is a really cheeky little monkey, but she doesn't really do much with John. So they have a couple of little quirky things that they do together. And that's pretty much all she does for John. She's my dog, you know, she's obedient for him. But um, it's me that she interacts with. But um, John, John decided that she really liked this little furry dummy that he has. So before letting her out of the back of the car, he would, and actually, I think Gemma might have actually seen her try and do this to Gemma's car, actually. So um, John would open the back passenger seat and put this furry dummy in front of the chair on the floor in the back of the car. So he'd let her out of the boot and she'd go round and hunt to look for this furry dummy. And this has now become a routine that every time John takes Rose up the field, he puts this furry dummy in the footwell of the, of the back seat of the car and she gets out of the car and the first thing she does is to run round to look to see what's in the footwell. Well, of course, she now does that to all cars. <laughs> may not be a great thing for me and I'm like why did you teach my dog that thing and he's like it's really cute and then she gives it to me and I get to throw it for her and I'm like you could have just given it to her and thrown it for her you didn't need to teach her to raid the back of people's cars to find things so now she'll like look in my car and but very quickly she has learned my car doesn't have things in the footwell so actually, she's now starting to figure this out. But I think she has done it to Gemma, hasn't she, Gemma? She's done it to your car. She has actually had a little nose in your car. <laughs> so we do have to be mindful of what we teach our dogs. Be mindful of that. So when I'm just talking to you about that, I actually feel better about Mr. P's crazy little game with Ella. Because <laughs> I think perhaps it's a husband thing trying to derail sometimes are perfect training not that it's perfect but you know what i mean but it's just a case of like it's so simple so cute so fun because we love them to death and they live in the house and they 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 are definitely gun dogs that work they are also pets and, and they're part of our family this sort of inadvertent causing of habit how do we not correct them for some of them like i have no no want to correct Mr. P's and Ella's little game. They, they're quite happy doing it. Um, but how do we correct the ones that are going to cause us problems? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I think the first thing is consistency. And this can be the hardest thing for the handler or the owner of the dog is consistency in the message that you're giving the dog. So all too often, you know, I might give a client some advice on how to achieve a delivery to hand of the retrieve. Let's just say, take that as an example, because it's the one that I do every day, day in and day out. Um, and I'll say, okay, I'm going to show you how to teach a hand touch. And I, I'm sure Gemma will have some really cool versions of this as well. 
And so I'll go through with them. These are the steps for the hand touch. So it, the first thing might be the treat in between the fingers and you're teaching the dog to touch the hand. And then you take the treat away from there and the dog touches the hand and then you reward the dog. And then you put a bit of distance in between you and the dog. So you recall the dog in and they touch the hand. And then you get the sit on the end of that and bring the dog into heel. And then you start adding a retrieving. But you'll take the distance right back down and you'll get the dog literally to pick the dummy up and touch your hand so the dummy ends up naturally in your hand now this is just one way of teaching a delivery to hand that works for some dogs and not other dogs but there are multiple steps by that so i will give let's say an owner some homework on that to do and i'll go go away and work on step one and step two and step three but people very naturally want to rush through all the steps so what happens is they don't prove step one step two and step three enough and then they might see that oh well let's try step four and step five and rush to that point and the dog's not ready for step four and five yet and so the training breaks down and they haven't built up the consistency in each step so they give up on that and think well that didn't work i'm going to try something else when we're building behaviors that are not and not especially ones that are not naturally rewarding for the dog it takes time, patience, and consistency to get it together. And you have to proof each step before you move on and make sure each step is really solid before you move on. Now, rule of thumb, I don't know if you say this, Jen, but when I'm teaching something and maybe I'm undoing some bad habits while teaching it, I'll give a very general time frame. Because everyone wants a time frame. And I don't want people to think that between the fortnight that they see me, because typically for most gun dog sessions, there'll be two weeks in between. I don't want them thinking that in two weeks, they're going to change six months worth of bad habit and have completely developed this perfect delivery to hand. So I say, you're potentially looking at six to eight weeks of training consistently to build that behavior to become more natural for the dog. But that's going to then need proofing in different environments and under different um, scenarios and with different distractions as well. So that's just kind of a rule of thumb. Like, obviously, it varies from dog to dog. Some dogs pick things up way quicker than others. Um, and some dogs, there are many, many more bad habits to undo on the route. So it really varies from dog to dog, but I will try and give a client a very realistic time frame that they might need to work on so that they're not expecting this to work within a few days or two sessions. Yeah, I think exactly that. You've got to be realistic with people. And if you're giving them unrealistic expectations, it just sets them up for sort of failure, I suppose. Um, I think with an ingrained habit of an older dog, I generally say you're going to have to at least do, try and sort of proof this for as long as they've done the naughty habit. Uh, for new behaviours, obviously it happens a lot quicker because you're teaching a new thing that's not already ingrained. Uh, but yeah, giving realistic timeframes and actually telling them most of it's down to you and your consistency as well. If you're super consistent with this, it's going to happen a lot quicker for you than if maybe you do it for four days a week and the other three are a bit hit and miss um but yeah definitely but sometimes even people will say 
Well, I tried it four times. It didn't work. So I did a variation of it and did it like this. And now this is happening. And I'm like, well, yeah, because that's not actually what I said to do. And so that's why that's now happening. And I think that it's not frustrating because I have, I do have good patience when I'm teaching people. Um, I, I believe I'm a patient teacher. I think the frustration comes when I think you can see the dog's making really good progress. So the owner then thinks the job is done. It's done. I've done it. And it's like, no, you haven't done it yet. That's just this little piece. And now we've got to move it into that. Now we've got to increase the distance of that retrieval. Now we've got to train it in another environment with a different distraction. And it's, you know, so we might need to bring the distance back down to do that. And I think, you know, for me, it's like really, like you said, Jen, setting the expectation to that owner of what they really need to do to do it. But I always say to people, for the sake of a few weeks or months, maybe, depending on what it is we're doing, you're going to have years of fantastic stuff. So actually, the time frame in, in the grand scheme of things is, is not very big. It's just that in the moment, it feels quite big. But the dog's been doing it wrong sometimes for six months. So what's a few weeks of, of putting it right, Joe? I think as well, though, like you hear it for like us all the time, like 21 day challenge, 21 day this, 21 day that. And now they've proved that they don't believe it's 21 days. It's more like six. Yeah. But then they've also said about and I, I find this quite interesting. Is what you're doing a routine or a habit? And like. If it's a habit, you'll do it wherever you are, whatever's going on, that's your habit. But if it's routine, it's almost environmentally based. So, for example, your dog might sit every time you open a door in your house because that's routine. But then you could go to a friend and open a house and the dog's diving around because that wasn't the dog's habit is I sit when a door's opened. It's the routine I do it in my house. It's not a habit yet. I don't do it in somebody else's house. Mm. And I think people don't always get that. They constantly sort of assess, oh, well, this is fine because this is happening. But are they sure where, you know, when you was talking about proofing it, are they sure it's an absolute habit? Are they sure the dog gets it? Have they done it long enough? Have they had a long-term dedication to maintaining that habit and not building a routine? Yeah, and I suppose the key one to look at with that is recall. People nail it in the garden and then go somewhere else thinking, yep, yeah, we've got recall, but they haven't brought into account all the variable distractions and environmental changes that can happen with that recall. So is there a bird present? Is there a rabbit present? Has a dog gone and peed somewhere that they need to go pee on or there's a multitude of things that you need to prove for for recall to make it 100 percent. so mm. i think we're all still going to come across things with our dogs that they've never come across before which might be a struggle for them with a recall but it's setting your up setting yourself and your dog up for that success and knowing actually i have tried to prove my recall in as many different scenarios as i can and i think it about as 100 percent as i can get it at the moment Sort of another variable. <laughs> you said the word variable, Gem, and I love that word. But another variable can also be so. I had this really interesting conversation with one of my clients the other day. So interesting was it that I actually did a post 
about it on my private groups for all of my clients because it was a really thought-provoking um conversation so I wrote a whole thing about it and it was about whether or not it was a good idea for a client to go to different trainers and get different information from different trainers and I said well that completely depends on the dog and the handler and it will really really vary what I would say or what my response to that question would be depending on the dog and handler so the reason that would be if I'm working with a very novice dog owner let's just say it's their first dog or their first gun dog that they've trained and it's a young dog perhaps going even through adolescence and they don't know what they don't know there's that saying Joe isn't it they, they don't know what they don't know people only know what they know but different trainers and I think this is one of the ways that the ladies working dog group us group experts um and the other um featured experts on the, on the team um one of the things that I love about us as a team is we all understand and appreciate that there is more than one way to train a dog and although we do do things very similarly as a group um there will also be some differences but there are some trainers out there whose their way is the only way and there is no other way than their way and they don't think in the same way that we do so that client might go to you Gemma or might come to me um, and we might give advice that but we believe will really work for that dog and then they might go and see another trainer and that trainer for whatever reason decides that their way is the only way and that what we've said is clearly rubbish so don't do that now if that poor handler goes to two or three different trainers and they haven't got a good solid core knowledge that they understand and are happy with they're going to get very very confused and they're going to keep changing their technique or their tactic or um the commands that they use or the body language that they use dependent on what the individual trainer has said to them that they should do so they're going to keep changing it now the difficulty with that if they keep changing it it's going to take a hell of a lot longer for that poor dog to grasp the concept of what's going on so that can be very confusing and actually can set a lot of people a lot of handlers and a lot of dogs back however if you're a handler who has been in the you know you're not on your first dog or maybe you've trained multiple dogs and you're you're very confident and competent in what you're doing and you're attending different to different trainers to proof your training under different circumstances in different um, environments on different training grounds and you're not there to be shown the basics it can be very valuable very very valuable to get a different pair of eyes on your dog and to get some insight and to get to proof your training in a different environment so i think there is there's never any yes or no but i think absolutely for a first-time dog owner or if you're very novice in it it can actually cause a lot of confusion for you and your dog if the trainers you are seeing do not sing off of the same sheet I'm not saying they've got to say the identical stuff because you know me and Gemma do things slightly differently me and Sam do things slightly differently but we have a, the very similar outlook overall so I think that has to be considered as well as something that can actually 
have an impact on the progress that an owner gets with their dog? I think that would come down to though, and maybe new owners don't think about this or novice owners don't think about it. If you are learning to drive, you are relying on the habits of the drive instructor to create mm -hmm. habits in you. You mm -hmm. would never learn to drive by going to different driving instructors every week for 15 weeks because each of their habits would be different and you <laughs> haven't yet got any habits at all. You're just going to become a chaotic mess. Whereas yeah. if you have passed your test, been driving for a year, and then you think, right, I want to learn advanced techniques. I'll go to Claire for, I don't know, doing handbrake turns. I'll go to rally Claire. day, a rally, a rally day. Once you've got those habits, you could go to 20 driving instructors for advanced driving because yes. you're, you've got your own habits instilled first. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's you just said what took me a very long time. You said it very quickly. <laughs> well <done. laughs> also, though, people may have understood your way more than they understand my way, because another thing that comes to <laughs> habits and learning is we all learn from different people. But it is yeah. those habits formed first. Um, I think that was a fantastic podcast. I've absolutely loved every single minute of it. Thank you both for being fantastic as always. It has given me some ideas about maybe doing some sort of like um, masterclass around correcting unwanted habits because I think we've touched on some stuff here, which is absolutely mm -hmm. fabulous. And I think we could definitely do something more with that. So society members, look out in the future for something around that. I think it would be fab. Um, for those of you who are not our members, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you're getting used to the new um, week one, week three sort of pattern we've now got. That should be a new habit for you all because you've all been used to listening to us every single week. For those of you who are new listening to us, if you subscribe, you can go back and listen to all the other podcasts. For those of you who are society members, you will have your weekly podcasts within your society membership in the private podcast. So I hope you've all enjoyed and we shall speak to you all very soon. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with Joanne Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. If you're interested in joining our supportive community and taking advantage of our group experts training and resources, please visit our website at www.thelwdg.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And we look forward to helping you and your four-legged friend thrive. Until next time, keep training, keep learning, and keep working with your beloved gun dog. Thank you.